Okay, First Peter chapter 5. Um, I was thinking about these... Um, I'm sorry, First uh, Samuel chapter 30, excuse me. I did that on Wednesday. But I was thinking about this topic... And this will be the last message that we do on the series of the nearness of God, the presence of God in our life. And actually, last Sunday was such an anointed time. It was so beautiful, and it just never got recorded. Isn't that weird? So, like, I just feel like, you know, if you were there, you got to enjoy it. If you weren't, then uh, glean from somebody's notes or just ask somebody how it went. But this will be the third and the last of a series on the nearness of God. And, you know, this topic, this thought of the nearness of God... Um, really dawned on me when I was living in Poland. And I was in Krakow. I was living right in the center of Krakow. It's called the Old Rynik, which is the old, old Market Square. And in the morning, one morning, I was just out walking around. It's like this botanical park that just wraps around the whole city of Krakow. It's really beautiful. And I was just walking around that, and I was praying, and I just sensed like God's, I just sensed that like God was so near you know, and it's a different word than presence and different than proximity. I just sense the nearness of God to the city and to the country of Poland. And I just thought about God's love for people. And I think that when, when we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but a couple of things, when we think about experiencing the presence of God, we're talking about not a mystical uh, experience that is um, something that would be on a subjective level, although it can be subjective. When we talk about the objective presence of God and experiencing God's presence in our life, it's really knowing God's thoughts. And we use the illustration, if you've ever been on the road or traveling a lot, and you get a text message from someone on the other side of the world that says, I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. It feels like that they're in the room with you, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like that they're right there with you when you know somebody's thoughts? Maybe you don't even hear their words in the text message. Maybe you don't even hear their voice audibly. But you can hear, <coughs> excuse me, you can, you can sense, it sense their presence is right there uh, through the thoughts that they're thinking. And I think that when we know the thoughts of God, and how do we know what God's thinking? Right here, right? God has expressed to us his words. And this is really where, where faith comes from, by the way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and believing on the word of God in Hebrews chapter 10. Um, when we hear the word of God, I'm sorry, Romans 10 verse 17 when we hear the word of God, we begin to learn the thoughts of God. So that's how we experience the presence of God in our life. Wednesday night here, we had a beautiful time, and we just talked about how to encourage yourself. And we talked more about the presence of God. We talked about his nearness in our life. And we talked about David, how David was in a situation in 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, verse 6. And I want to read this verse to you. And some of these verses will be up on the screen. By the way, isn't David uh, McCoy doing a great job with those Slides back. Let's give him a big hand. David, coming up here. Uh, I keep thinking he's like 18 or 17 or 18. He's like 13. Can you believe that? Wow. It's amazing. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. And it says this, and David was greatly distressed. Have you been distressed? You ever been distressed? <laughs> Anne, Anne has uh, graduated from high school. She's going to be going to college in a few weeks. And Anne's not stressed, I don't think. Are you? Is she here? She, she was. Okay. She, she, I don't think she's greatly distressed, but David was, for the people spoke of stoning him. I mean, you know, your good friends, relatives, people that are around you, they want to stone you. That's a bit of a stressful situation, right? Anybody experienced that this week? Have you had relatives that want to stone you? <laughs> 
I can't say that I have had. <clears throat> Maybe they thought that, but I don't know. For the people spoke up stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul. I think in the King James or one version, it says they were grieved in their soul. Imagine the entire group of individuals just grieved. A whole community of people grieved. I think we're still grieving in Texas about what happened in Uvalde. You know, that's just a grieving. It just grieves our hearts. And we're grieving. Each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What does that mean? What does that mean that he um, encouraged himself and that he strengthened himself in the presence of God? It, I think it, re- it really means um, so much because when we think of when we think of uh, the when we think of the the stress here that David was under, um, he begins to explain this in Psalm forty-two, and I want to read this to you. Um, I want to read this to you. Let's just read Psalm 42, and I want to read verses 3 through 5. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? I think David here is experiencing spiritual depression. I mean, we've experienced depression, but have you experienced spiritual depression? That's another thing where you're spiritually just depressed. You're, you're just down. You're in a place where you're communing here with your heart. And in verse 4, these I remember and I pour out my soul within me. That I would go to the multi- go with the multitude. I led them in the pr- procession to the house of God with a voice of rejoicing and thanksgiving. A crowd celebrating a festival. In verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and disturbed within me? He says, hope in God, because I will, gain, I will again praise him for the salvation of his presence. It's interesting to note here that the condition of the psalmist's soul is downcast. And he said his, his soul is downcast. And it's just a, another word for despondency and despair. Today in this world that we live in, we live, there are such a high rate of depression and despondency. Uh, there's such a high rate of just, um, just this mental uh, unhealth that's going on in, in people's lives. Because I think that we've been created to live by faith. And when we live by faith in our life, you know what happens? There's this fulfillment in our life. There's this, you know, there's this, um, there's this thing. And, and I know that like whenever my wife and I have taken steps out of faith in our lives, it's always blessed and encouraged our marriage. And, you know, when you take steps of faith in your life, you're actually, recom- you're actually remedying something in your soul that is really hungry. We've been created to walk an adventurous life, and that's walking by faith. And that's why today you see people doing crazy things, jumping off bridges with a bungee cord on their ankle and just doing, you know, nutty stuff because there's this thing inside of a person that just desires adventure and desires on the, living on the edge. And we can only experience that on a spiritual level and not on a soulish or physical level. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. There's three parts of us. There's a spirit, there's a soul, and there's a body. Our physical body is what is conscious of the world around us, the temperature, food, things that we like, um, that we enjoy, clothing, the second thing is our soul, and that is self-aware. The body is world-aware. Our soul is self-aware of what it believes, what it likes to do, what its preferences are. And it's really this, it's this very self-centered world. And I think much of, Christi- much of Christianity is here, soulish level. Because it's just all about, I think many times, the way people decide about a church or decide about their, what, what, they, what they think about um, you know, worshiping God is really like, how does this affect me? When really the question is, 
on a deeper level, and that is the spirit, that third part of us. And that part of us, our spirit is closer to us than our soul is. That means that whenever you have feelings or emotions or, or fears or all of these, these, uh, these things that happen on a spiritual level, um, I mean, on a soulish level, in your soul, that's where your emotions are, then our spirit can take over. Because our spirit, we need to live in the spirit, walk in the spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, think with the spirit, listen to the spirit, speak from the spirit. Like David said in Psalm 17, my sentence, my words come from your presence. My words come from your presence. And you know something, I just never want to grieve the presence of God in a conversation that I have with people. I always want to just, Lord, help me not grieve your Holy Spirit. And so David here is speaking to himself and he does three things. And I just want to say three things here this morning. Number one, how do we encourage ourselves in the presence of God? This is <clears throat> what David did. Cranberry juice always makes me, <clears throat> something, does something in my throat. Number one, pour out, your soul to, pour out your soul to God. That's what David did. Pouring out his soul is actually David listening and discerning his soul. He's listening to himself. He's listening to himself on a, from, from the perspective of the spirit. And he's listening to his soul speak. I think that this, the misnomer we have in Christianity is <clears throat> that emotions are negative. They're bad. They're taboo. They're, 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 not, they're carnal. And they can be. Emotions can be really out of control. And I think God has created us to be feeling people. And that feeling, that sense of feeling and that sense of of, of emotion is something that God has created us a capacity with. Yet these emotions are part of our soul and they need to be surrendered to the spirit. Our physical body and our soul needs to be surrendered to the spirit because the spirit of God is the government of God in my life. Are, are you following me? I don't want it to be too deep here, too, too psychological, but David poured out his soul to the Lord. He poured out his heart. And let me just, you know, what is the heart and how does that relate to the soul? This is how I see it. You know, the soul is like a tree. You've, and we're not Eastern mystics here, but the soul is like a tree. There's branches and there's, you know, like, and there's soil of the soul. And the soil of the soul is really the heart. And this is what Jesus talked about. He talked about, you know, if the heart is ready, if the heart is fertile, you know, there's the soil of the heart. And if the heart is, and this is where the tree is planted. And if your heart is right with God, your soul is going to be blessed. Your emotions are going to be blessing you. Your, 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 your norms and your standards are going to be are going to be based on grace. Um, your self image is going to be healthy. You know, it's a, if our heart is right with God, and this is where David here is. He's pouring out his heart before the Lord. And he's saying, "This is what I'm feeling." Okay, this is what I'm feeling. But he didn't stop there, and he didn't just let his self talk, talk, talk. And I think that sometimes we're just listening to ourselves too much. We're listening to ourselves talk nonstop, and we have to stop listening to ourselves at some point. And start listening to God and start speaking to ourselves. And so David is pouring out his heart to the Lord. Have you ever done that before? Have you just taken time to say, Lord, these, this is what I'm feeling right now. You know, this, these are my emotions. These are my emotions. These are my big emotions. These are my little emotions. These are some things that are going on. And I lay it out before you. And we have to understand that God does not condemn us for, living, for feeling fear. Right? Jesus says, why if you are of little faith, he says to his disciples... But Jesus is not condemning his disciples. He's defining what's going on in the, in, in the boat. He says, Jesus is saying, right now you're fearful. Jesus reads the minds of the, of the Pharisees. And he knows their thought and he speaks a parable. 
And so God is not condemning. He's not, we're in, in Romans chapter eight, verse one, God's not condemning what's going on in our life because what has already been condemned? The flesh, right? The old sin nature, the old man has been condemned, has been crucified. And so when we have big emotions, when we're thinking these, you know, don't hide them from God. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to feel this. Just address it. Define it from scripture, you know? Say, okay, this, this is what this is, okay? Okay, that emotion is this. Okay, this is what David is saying. Okay, that emotion is here. This is in, you know, Ephesians chapter five. Okay. And these different emotions that we have. And then when we define them from a biblical point of view, don't get stuck listening to yourself. Go to the next step, self-talk. And I know that this is a word that's used in secular world and the secular, secular society, but why can't we use words like that from a biblical point of view? How do you talk to yourself? How are you speaking to yourself? Do you know that you and I, are, we, we, there, our heart does not stop talking. You know, my son, Caleb, is just a great talker. He just loves, he loves, loves to talk. And just sometimes we just have to like hit the off button. Just say, okay, quiet time. <laughs> And, you know, like our heart is always talking to us. And what is it saying? And what is the narration of our heart? And we need to be taking over. After David discerns himself, he speaks to himself. And he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? He's talking to himself. He's actually like, he puts his soul in the chair there. And he sits over here in the spirit chair. And, you know, the the chair of the Holy Spirit, the throne of grace. The throne of God, and he starts speaking to himself like that, like, a, like he says, why are you, okay, tell me what's going on, why are you so disquieted, and he begins to talk to himself, and he's not praying to God, and he's not talking to the readers of this psalm, but he's speaking to himself. One writer put it this way, we must learn to take ourselves by the hand, as he's talking to himself, he's addressing himself, he's talking about David here, it is important to see that this is not the same as morbidity and introspection. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to ourselves. In spiritual, de- in spiritual depression, we allow ourselves to talk to ourselves instead of talking, uh, instead of speaking to ourselves, okay? Talking to us instead of speaking to ourselves. This is the very essence of wisdom. In this matter, have you realized that so much of your unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself only? Instead, you must go on to remind yourself of who God is and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. And on this great note, listen to this, defy yourself. (laughs) That's what it means to deny ourselves, right? Defy yourself, right? When Jesus says, you know, no man can follow me unless he deny himself, like, what does that mean? It just means I'm, I'm going to defy myself. I said, you know what? That's what you want. I'm going to defy that. I'm going to just follow it. I'm going to make a decision with God in this situation. I feel this, but I'm going to defy myself because I know this is the right thing. And dare to defy yourself. You know, sometimes, you know, we live in these comfort zones and self-comfort and self-love and self, all of this stuff that we get into a place where our soul is counseling us. David said this. He said this um, in one Psalm. How long am I going to listen to my soul? Right? How long is my soul going to counsel me? We need, we need spiritual counsel. And by the way, if you need counsel in your life, make sure the counselor is spiritual. Right? You know, like, you know, someone like, here's the thing is that, and I, okay, when, when, when the Apostle John said to um, his audience in 1 John, he said, you have no need that any man teach you. Right? And I think sometimes people take that verse and say, you know what? I don't need anybody in my life. I'm just going to be my own church. You're going to be in my, own, in my own zone. That's not what it's saying. It says in the Greek, you have no need for any soulish 
driven, controlled man. That word there is sukikash, which means like, which means someone that's driven in their soul. And so I believe in counseling, good counseling. And, and there's times when we need to sit down and just get good counsel. But just really make sure that the counselor is a spiritual person that knows God and is using right. biblical truth. Because, you know, I think that there's going to be times where we're going to be tempted to go talk to somebody who doesn't even know God. And who knows what's going on in their lives anyway? Wow. You know, like, are they, <laughs> what's going on in their lives? I don't know. You know, we want it. Amen. Can I get an amen? Like, amen. anybody out there? <laughs> You know, it's like, we just need spiritual counsel. Thanks, Pastor Evan. We just need some, like, spiritual counsel, right? Like, there's times when, like, there's, you know, maybe you're, as a husband, you're leading your family, and there's just times you're like, I just wish I could be encouraged, you know, as a husband. You know, we got to have people in our lives that are mentoring us, that are building us up, that are discipling us. Because if, if I'm not being discipled, I can't disciple other people. And, and it's always interesting to me that, you know, when, when someone is like, you know what, I, you know, I don't need anybody in my life. I'm just going to go do this work of God by myself on my own. It's a very dangerous place because there's no spiritual accountability. And accountability means that this word accountability is a scary word, I think, for the flesh. But for me, it's something I welcome because accountability means that somebody is looking into my life and speaking into my life. Right. Amen. And they're able to say things to me. And so David here is saying, stop listening to yourself. Speak to yourself. And this is what happens is like we begin to speak to ourselves, remind yourself of who God is and what he has done and who he's pledged himself to do in your life. And then defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and defy the whole world and say that the man I shall yet praise with the man who I am, I shall yet praise him for he is my God. Amen. Here's some examples. You want some biblical examples? It's an Old Testament example here that I just gave you two examples in the New Testament, of people speaking to themselves in a situation where they need to get encouraged and there's a lot against them, right? Matthew 9, verse 1, the woman with the issue of blood said, if I may just touch the hem of his garment. Remember that? She's, she's making her way through, the, through the, um, the crowd. And what she had physically made her ceremonially unclean by law. She was not allowed to be in public, she was considered, it was just, you know, it was just shame. And I, it was sometime I'd like to do a series of sermons on shame and like what, why shame is not from God at all. And so she's walking in this shame, the law of Moses, you know, she's taking on this image of like, okay, I'm shameful, but if I can just, you know, if I can just crawl and she's like crawling through the crowd and she's, if I can just, I'm not going to bother anybody. I'm just going to touch the hem of his garment. If I can do that, if I can just get to church, <laughs> if I can get to, if I can just get to, um, what is it? Magnolia, right? If I can just get to the church of Magnolia and just touch the hem of his garment, right? Some of you have driven like an hour to be here. Thank you so much. It's amazing. If I can just get here and just, you know, like touch the hem of the body of Christ and maybe just say hi to somebody, I shall be clean. It's like I shall be made whole. That's one way. Here's another example in Luke 15, verse 17, the lost son. The lost son is out there. He's just wandering around. It comes to a moment where he says he comes to himself. Right? He comes to himself and he begins, to, he begins to speak to himself. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And we know what happens later. He begins to speak to, our, he begins to, speak to himself. That's what it means. And then, and then number three, how do we encourage ourselves? How do we um, stir ourselves up in the presence of God? How do we... 
Um, how do we get out of this rut of discouragement? Sometimes we find ourselves in, and it's Psalm 103. And I want to look at these five verses. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. This is David. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Was it, who's he talking to? Himself. Himself. You say, okay, soul, bless the Lord, right? You ever say that to your family? Like, okay, you know, I haven't done this yet, but, you know. No more complaining. I just want to hear you bless the Lord, right? <laughs> Speak to our family like that. See how far that goes in your family. No more complaining. Just bless the Lord right now. And he says this like twice. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, right? Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. You know what iniquity is? It's just sin in the mind. It's just when my emotions begin to rule my life. And I start thinking like, I'm just, I'm just angry. I was like that the other day. I was just like, oh, God, I've just got to correct my attitude here. Lord, correct me. Lord, I, pour, I, I didn't even know what was wrong. Sometimes you just get on the edge and you don't know why. And I was like, Lord, I just give this to you. And, and I don't even know how to fix myself. And I was like that for like two hours. Like, Lord, okay. <laughs> just try to work this through with God on the edge a little bit. Who forgives all your iniquity. Yeah. God forgives that. You know, sometimes there are these thoughts in our minds like if people only knew what I was thinking. Like they'd never want to talk to me again. Probably so. But the key is that God forgives all of that. God forgives all of our iniquity. You know what forgive means? It means that he separates it. And you know, in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew mindset, the Hebrew mindset, forgiveness was not just, oh, that's okay. Forget it. No worries. No, forgiveness means that God takes our sin and he separates it from us in every way. And he sends it as far as the east is from the west. And what he would do is that the priest would take, would confess all the sins of Israel. And I bet that was like for days and days and days. And he was confessing all the sins of Israel. And he had his hand on the head of a goat. And he would do that. And then after he confessed all the sins of Israel on the goat, he would, he would take a fit man, you know, a fit man, like Atlas or whatever these, you know, whoever these guys are, these muscle guys. And they, and they take, the, they take the, the goat out into the wilderness where it says no man was out there. No man lived out there. That's what God wants to do with our thought life. That's what God wants to do with our sins. He, to, he puts it out there where there's no one that's going to know about it. Because you know what? The sin question is something that's been decided at the cross. And I don't know why we as Christians have the liberty to hear some information and just immediately publish it. Like, oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? Oh, we got to pray for them because we don't want to gossip. We don't want to gossip. You know, it's really gossiping. And God sends it as far as the east is from the west. And like when we have a thought that comes to our mind and it seems to dominate us and get us in a rut, we can just say, you know what, God forgives me of that. And forgiveness means that I'm separated from it. And the other thing that forgiveness means, it means it's no longer mine. I don't even have the right to think about it. It means a disconnection of ownership. It means that like if I'm living in some kind of a sin and I confess it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we, we have an advocate that if we sin... We can confess our sins, which means say the same thing that God says about it. And he is what? Faithful. Faithful. And what? Just. Just to what? Forgive us. forgive us. Does that mean that God doesn't forgive me until I ask for forgiveness? No. I, I believe that God has already forgiven our sins. I believe that all, they're already paid for. But there are some of us in, in John chapter 3 that if we do not believe in John 3 verse 18, it says that there's no condemnation but... The condemnation that is in the world is that they that are in their sin, that love their sin, if we never confess it and we never speak it to God, we, you know, we don't need to go to a priest or another individual, but we say it out to God, then he forgives us. That means that we can start living in the benefits of forgiveness. Yeah. If I don't know how to confess my sins, I'm not living in the benefits of my sin 
being forgiven, and therefore I'm living in sin. Does that make sense? I'll say it this way. If I, if I don't know how to confess my sins to the Lord because I'm afraid that God's going to beat me up or shame on me that I thought that thought, if I don't know how to do that, then you know what happens? Then I begin to live under the effects of my sin, which is this condemnation and shame and guilt and, dis- and, and uh, destruction. He heals all of our diseases, verse 3. I believe that he heals diseases, that God heals today. I really believe that. Redeems your life from the pit. Love that verse four, who crowns you with a steadfast love and mercy, all right, delivered from the pit. Wow. Verse five, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. This is the third point is what we need to do. First, pour your heart before the Lord. Number two, stop listening to yourself and start talking to your soul from divine viewpoint. And number three, reorder your hopes. Now, don't what I don't mean is to lower your expectations. Because that's what we do in the world today. Because many people, I find, just are, have an aversion to conflict or any kind of confrontation. So we just tell ourselves, well, you're expecting too much. You're expecting too much from God. Who are you anyway to talk like that, to think like that? You don't deserve that. And that's just this, just this carnal modesty that just doesn't work at the throne of grace. David here is reordering his hope, meaning I'm hoping in the Lord. I'm not hoping in this situation. You know, when we look at what's happening in the world, I don't have much hope for the world. When I look at what's happening in our country or things around us, that, that may not change. And I can't really promise to people things life's going to get better. Have you ever been in a situation where you're trying to just encourage somebody and counsel someone? And I do this sometimes because I, I just want people to, you know, I just want people to experience, I don't know. It's hard for me to see people suffer. And I just want to say, you know what? I'm praying for you and I know it's going to get better. And what I, I, you know, when I say that, I just know it may not get better. Because <laughs> there's times in my life where things have happened and didn't get, wor- didn't get better. It just got worse. And what happens is, is that we can put our hope in the Lord because God will never fail us. God's never going to forsake us. I love that. He will never, no, never leave us nor forsake us. That's the guarantee of the presence of God. As we celebrated communion here, it was said, David said this, that there was a covenant that God made with his son for us. Amen. So how do, we, how do we just reorder our hope and not lower our expectations? Psalm 103. Look at the Lord. I want to wrap it up with this. Four things. How do we do this practically? How do we get ourselves out of the rut of living in poor expectations or living in a distressing situation? Number one, think about your justification. And I'm not going to live in the past or in guilt. Just think you're justified. You're justified. Somebody who's justified doesn't need to walk around justifying and making excuses, right? You're just justified, right? You are justified. The court of heaven has declared us innocent, has made, they have declared us clean and washed. In, in um, John chapter 17, I have washed you clean with the word I've spoken unto you. There's just this cleansing effect that we experience when we open the word and just hear the word preached, right? Number two, think about your sanctification. Meditate on your sanctification. What does that mean? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to sanctify myself better. No. Sure, you can try that, but you just go back. You're just going back to Exodus 18 and 19. Sanctification means that it's the spirit of God in me. It's a spirit of obedience, right? That's in me. That's in you. There's something in us that wants to follow and obey God and make right decisions. There's that part of us 
in 1 John that does not sin. There's that part of us that is holy and it's righteous. It's the new man. That's the new part of us that wants God. And there's that, that's that, that part of us that God says, I have begun a good work in your life and I will be faithful, what? To complete it as long as you're a good person. No, I will be faithful to complete it, right? Amen? Is that gonna be like, is that, that's my, that's my, that's my theme for my family, that God began something in my family and he's gonna be faithful to complete it. Realize that God will change you and I won't have to feel like I'll never change. You ever get that feeling I'm never gonna change? That never, it's like, I feel that way. Sometimes like, you know what, that's never gonna, okay, year number 422 in my life. This is, nothing's changed and this is the way it's never gonna change and put your hope in the Lord. Like, put your hope in God. Okay, I'm struggling with this thing in my life. Okay, I can't, you know, I can't change it, but you know something, God can. And I think that there's so much beautiful, there's so many beautiful things that begin in your life when you say, okay, I'm gonna stop trying to change and I'm not gonna give up, it is what it is. I, I just don't like that statement. I just say, you know what? God is faithful who began a good work in me and he's gonna complete it in me. And that's number two, meditate on your, on your sanctification. Number three, um, think of your adoption, about how you've been adopted. And that when, you know, adoption really never became a real thing to me in my theology until we adopted Caleb. And something really cool happened. Um, when we adopted our son, he was 10 months, and he knows he's adopted. And what we do, what, what, he, what happened was, is that we did this foster to adopt program. And it was such an amazing story, and it's a miracle of God. But when, we, when the adoption was finally finished, um, the court in Richmond, um, here in Texas, they sent the information to where, the state where he was born. And the hospital or the, the city there took his birth certificate, um, tore it up, no longer exists, and rewrote the whole, it was called Certificate of Live Birth. The coolest thing. Anybody here adopted before? Okay, it's the coolest thing. It says, it has my wife's name, her full name. It says it gave birth to, to Caleb Martin Moore July 31st, 2017, at this hospital. I mean, her name is like, like it's right there, like she did it, right? Isn't that cool? That's like so, and like there's no history of the previous name. There's no history of the previous child. There's no history of the birth parents, although we know who they are. It's this is the adoption of God. God has just torn up the paperwork of what we used to belong to. We no longer belong to sin and belong to depression. We don't belong to these things like, like these habits in our life and these addictions. We don't belong to it. And you know what? We can be in a place where we say, God, oh, woe is me, such a sinner in Romans chapter seven. Who shall deliver me from this, from this sinful state, right? Because it's no longer I that sin. Have you gotten to that place yet? Because a lot of people haven't. They've gotten to the place where, you know, I'm working on it. I'm work, you know, I sinned only three times this week and last week it was five times. And then the next week it's like 422 again, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, it's like because freedom from sin does not come until we understand our identity that I'm no longer belonging to that. Yes. That has no more ownership of my life. And I can just say I'm adopted. I have a new name. Yeah. And if somebody wants to do the research, okay, where is Caleb from? They're not going to find it. They're going to just find, okay, Gosha gave birth to Caleb in such and such a place at this date. Isn't that cool? That's so cool. And that's the miracle of adoption, that there's no history. That, that, like there's no history of you in the flesh. Although you and I, in our mind, we remember it. And, and Paul talks about his history. 
but like historically for the for the for the record in the in the court of justice in the court of law there's like that can't be brought that can't be brought to the court of law like that is that is evidence that is not admissible i think is the term right and it's like the jury can't know about it and everybody else can't know about it and it's got to be sealed and actually in god it's not sealed it's just been crucified right and when we think about our adoption we remember who um, we remember who we are and that, you know what, we're not just adopted. Okay, we're just going to adopt that kid because he's in the, no, we're in his the beloved dear son. And I was thinking about this Wednesday night, right, in Ephesians 5. It says we are in the, you know, Paul said this to the Colossians. He said, in, we are in the kingdom of his dear son. We're in the kingdom of his dear son. And you know, in eternity past, when eternity past, the Trinity existed before there was any universe or any creation. What did they think and and, and what did they cherish? And what did they, what did they talk about in the Trinity? Their son, Jesus Christ. He was the center of love and center of attention. He was, the, he was the dear child. He was the favorite. He was the, what's the word I'm trying to think of? He's the, he was the, the best, the beloved. He was in, and then, you know what it says now in Ephesians? It says multiple times in the book of Ephesians, I think almost 90 times, it says, you're in Christ. <laughs> you're in Christ. You're not in your problems. You're not in your sin. You're not in your issues. You're in Christ, and Christ is in God, and Christ is in God, meaning that, that we are in this place. We've been invited to this like, love, the feast of love and attention and, and encouragement and, and value and, and, all, and worth that we've never sensed in our life. And it's okay because it takes some time to get used to it. We're going to have these complexes come like, I don't deserve this. And the answer to that is, yes, we don't deserve it. But God, I love that. But God, I want to end with this. In Titus, it says, chapter 3, it, says, it has this whole list of this craziness. We lived in, you know, hatred and jealousy and all envy and all this stuff. And then it says, but God, but God, but God, but in God, but God who is rich in mercy. All right. The grace of God has appeared to all men and has appeared to us. And, you know, and then the last thing is, is just think of your future, your future resurrection. And don't be afraid of aging or dying. I'm not afraid. I actually like getting older. And I'm not saying that because I'm getting older, but I do get, I enjoy getting older. I don't want to relive my foolish past. Every year that I, that I'm, there's another distance from my foolish past is like a better year. <laughs> and I just enjoy just aging with the Lord and aging and just seeing the faithfulness of God. Because when we live in that, when we live in the presence and the nearness of God, we're no longer living in the presence of my depression, the presence of my fears, the presence of all this other stuff. I want to live in the mighty presence of God who is closer to me than I am to myself. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.